I feel very humbled to be here this evening. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you would turn in them to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. I start with chapter five. We may be looking at a whole lot of scripture tonight. Um, not that I wanted to run you through the old the Old Testament, but uh, it's a valuable thing to know God's word. It's very valuable to understand what He is driving us towards from all of history into our present day and age. You know, it wasn't that long ago, well, maybe it is a little while ago, that I stood on the temple, on the temple mount itself. And my sadness of the temple mount in Jerusalem is that there's a a thing there, a, a place called the Dome of the Rock it has nothing to do with our God. It has nothing to do with our God. But it does say something. It says something about our world today. If you know anything about the Dome of the Rock, it is where it is one of the high holy sites of the Muslim faith. It's just so you know what I'm talking about. But tonight we're not talking about them. We're talking about a specific temple. A temple of God. And so tonight's message is called Dedicating the Temple. And I was asked, this is a series of Thanksgiving messages, kind of based on the idea this is a time of Thanksgiving. Uh, Four weeks, I believe, and Brad is up next, so uh, I won't steal any of your thunder, Brad. I promise I stayed away from learning about... uh, the first Thanksgiving and so forth like that. Uh, but tonight we're going to be looking at Second Chronicles. Did you know that the word Chronicles, you heard of it in Chronicles of, Na- of Narnia, actually the Hebrew word literally means for happenings of days. Now, this is a, a book, or books in this situation, in the way it's looked at here, written by Ezra, a prophet a prophet of God, to remind the people of what has happened, what is going on with the children of Israel to this day. There are other books that are historically written, like First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel and, and all the five, five texts of the, the Torah. So this is another historical book. It tells us about what has happened but at the same time warns us about what can happen if we don't keep our eyes on God. And tonight we're going to talk about dedicating the temple. It's interesting, this, these books, the first and second chronicles, also mentions all Israel when it talks. It speaks to all Israel. And let me tell you, I always think this is unique, that we're all interrelated, believe it or not, to Adam. Did you know that? That we're all related to Adam. When you think about it, we're all related to Jesus somehow. If you reverse the whole pattern of all history, go all the way back, there was a flood and it killed everybody, right? And in that, there was, Mo- there was Noah and his three sons, and they had wives. And that's where you all know you're integrated. You're, we're all one people. We all have the same heritage. All Israel is sitting here this morning. 
or this evening, I should say. I did not preach a sermon this morning, and I haven't ever preached a sermon, so there's no connection to morning. But the truth is, we're all Israel together. The interesting thing about Israel is that there were some, if you remember, that served the Lord, and that there were some that did not. So just because I call you all Israel, does not mean that you're all saved, or all going to be saved. But I believe if you love Jesus Christ that you will be saved and that you have Him as Lord of life. So let us look at this, all you Israel, Israel. Let's look at this text. Look at Second Chronicles 5. It says here, Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, and stored the silver and gold, the gold and all the vessels and the treasuries of the house of God. Now you have to understand, just prior to we get to this point, that this temple of Solomon was being built. We're coming to the dedication part. That thanksgiving part for what God has done. That part that says, here is the temple. We dedicate it for you, God. And there were workers who built. And when I look around here, I look in this congregation, I look at you as the workers that built. You build this place. You do things in this place. You serve this place time in and time out. You're the builders. You're the builders. And here we are looking at this temple. And here have this powerful image here of the ark coming in. So let's read it together starting in verse 2. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses, of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David which is Zion and all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month and all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark and they brought up the ark in the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent the ridiculed priests brought them up and then King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before them, before him, were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. And there's a unique thing here that I want to mention. And it, if you ever go to Israel, and I don't know if you will or have that opportunity, but there's something unique about this place. And while I went inside that God-forsaken spot there on top of the Temple Mount, if you go in there, there's a rock under the dome of the rock. And believe it or not, it's stained with the red blood on it. There were so many sacrifices there that were held all the years of Israel that that rock is literally stained red from all the sacrifices. Very unique. Very unique. But here we have this assembly come forth. Assembly of folks bringing the ark. And if you know anything about this ark, you'll know that there are two stone tablets in there that were of Moses that declared the laws of Israel and what they should do and what they should not. And here we have it. It's a dedication. A festival is happening. In fact, it's unique because it's the festival of the, te- of the temple. The tabernacles is happening and taking place at this point in Israel's life. 
And then it says here in verse 7, Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark in its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from outside, and they are there this, to this day. And there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priest came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, and Judathan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And, all, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord were saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with clouds so that the priest could not stand to minister before the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. You have to understand this is a powerful experience. They had the singers. I love our singers. And we do a great job. I know when Kit's here, he's great. Each and every one of you that serve the Lord bring thanksgiving into the house. Thanksgiving as, as you worship before the Lord. This was a worship ceremony of thanksgiving for what God had done and what He's going to do. It's very powerful experience that's happening here. You see, it's not just that the temple is dedicated. But the Shekinah glory of God is experienced in this place. There, there's, there's something special about Jerusalem. Something special about Jerusalem. The Shekinah glory was seen on the Temple Mount. And we look at that last verse, that's exactly the experience that is happening at the dedication of the Temple. The one that Solomon built for the Lord. He's dedicating it to us. He's dedicating it before God. And if you read on in verse 6, we learn about His words of blessing. Well, I'm not going to read everything here because we could be here all night long. Trust me, this is a powerful story. And you should read all of verse 5 and say, it's not just a story, this truly happened. Some people think story, they think fictional. This is historical, the experiences that happen here. <coughs> and so Solomon blesses the people. And he speaks to God. He says, I built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And it says he blesses the people of Israel, the assembly of Israel. 
And while all the assembly of Israel stood, and he turned around and blessed all of them. And he blessed the Lord. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to which to build a house that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people, Israel. But I've chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And I've chosen David to be over my people, Israel. There's something also unique here. There's a significance about this temple. You see, there's also a connection to the city of Jerusalem to God's plan and purpose. It's not just a random city. It's a chosen by God to be a special place. And, and don't, the city of David has a powerful meaning. Powerful experience. There's a connection between this day and the day that Jesus comes into the earth. In the sense of a baby born. Yes, born in Bethlehem. And by the way, it's not that far away from Jerusalem. You can get there in very fast time. That's if they are opening the gate so you can arrive there. Because it's in the West Bank, believe it, if you don't know if you know the geographics. The view here is though that this is a powerful place. The city of David and the fact that Jesus is a descendant of David. There's a connection here. The powerful connection of the temple and what that means. And so you hear this thing in, in, this, in this passage in chapter 6 about the blessing of the people and the blessing of himself as the, the inheritor king from David. And now we look down, if you look in verses 12, you hear that this is a powerful prayer that is prayed by Solomon. And in verse 18 it says, or let's start with verse 17, it says, Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. In verse 18, But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. You have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place. Note this passage here. This passage is a powerful passage in the sense that as though there is a temple that is built, Solomon fully engages and understands that no matter what physical place we have, God's power is greater. He is greater than any structure. Any structure. He cannot be contained in a structure. One of the biggest problems with, with cults, with folks that, that we say are not necessarily under the umbrella of Christianity is that they fall into the idea that there is one place or one at, as place you can be that you can worship God and be in His temple. 
And that you can only have one leader be the person that can guide you into the only truth of the Bible. That he can, he can be the one that is the spokesperson. God is greater than man. It is not through one person that speaks the Word of God. I love this service because you rotate different preachers up here, different folks to speak the Word of God. It is clear that God speaks through men. But He uses His Word as His critical, the ultimate spokes place. So if you have time, please read this passage in verse in chapter six. Read this passage. In chapter seven, we kind of come to the conclusion of the dedication of the temple. A conclusion of this dedication. So we have him praying. And then we have in verse 4, a description of all that is sacrificed to God on behalf of the children of Israel to make them pure before Him. Pure before Him. There's a necessity to be pure in the eyes of God. He needs to see our heart he needs to see where we stand. We know that we're all sinners and we fall short, but there's a necessity for purity. The powerful thing about Jesus is that He covers us so that we're white as snow before the Lord God because He's a God of wrath. Never forget that. We love to speak about God's love, but our God is a God of wrath. Without Jesus Christ, sacrifice on our behalf none of us deserves a right standing before him. none of us can stand in front of God the God of the Bible if you look at 2nd Chronicles 19 7 verses 19 it says here and he gives us a warning. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight, cast you out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, and at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this, thus, and to this land, and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he has brought all this disaster on them. Heavy, heavy words here. Challenging words. Challenging words. 
certainly I want to ask a couple questions. I want to dig a little deeper here. What makes this temple so special? What makes this temple so special? What makes this temple so special? Well, we know something about this temple. Well, it's been destroyed. By the time today, but this time, it gets destroyed three times. Solomon's temple is the first temple. Then we have another temple that's built later on. The third temple that's built by King Hezekiah. Or King, um, right, I lost the name. I'm looking for it. Uh, not Hezekiah. Herod. King Herod the Great. He built the temple. It's even greater. The key to this whole this understanding, though, is that this temple is the place where God is existent, right? But we know it can't be contained. It cannot be contained in a place. So what is it that makes this place special? I believe it is the experience of God in that space for the people. It's about that heart relationship between two pe- between the people and God. It's not the actual building itself. While it was beautiful and glorious and it had gold and, and, and mortar and all these things, just kind of like this place. I look around here and wow, like this chapel is so beautiful. But the relationship between the people and God. So what is the temple of the Lord? If you read scripture, you'll find it's a dwelling place of the Lord. It's also the figurative experience of the body of Jesus. As he speaks about himself. Remember, there's a passage, scripture says, I can tear down this temple in three you tear this temple down in three days and I can re, I mean tear down this temple and I can rebuild the temple in three days. Let me tell you, when I stood on the Temple Mount, there's some stones on that Temple Mount that are ginormous. It take a lot to take those those stones down. And those are just the the, the front the, t- the bottom layer, the foundation of that temple. What is the temple of the Lord? Is it a building? Certainly that's not the scripture's continuance of expression. It is where the presence of the Lord is. There are 30 references to the heart in the book, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And in speaking of the heart, it characterizes the heart as either having a right or wrong relationship with God. And there's something about these temples that I mentioned, the physical ones that, that are interconnected. You notice when they did not have a right relationship with God in their hearts, the temples were destroyed. They were destroyed when they lost sight of what the truth is. When they lost sight of God's Word and what He requires of them. Those temples were destroyed in each case, in each circumstance. So why is it that they were destroyed? Because of people's relationship 
as Isaiah so clearly states, You do not love me. You do not serve me. You do not do the things that you're supposed to do for me, God says. Thus I'm going to remove you from the land. In 2 Corinthians 6.16 we find the temple of the living God is spoken about in regard to to Christians marrying non-Christians. Seems like an unusual place to speak about this. But think about it. If in ourselves we are a Christian and we love the Lord, Jesus Christ, and that's the foundation of our heart and life. When we yoke ourselves, as it says, to a non-believer, we're tying ourselves to someone that doesn't share that same connection with the Lord God. There's always a chance, an opportunity, yes, for you to save them. But the real deal is, is that they still can pull you away from having a connection with the God Almighty. So let's read this passage real quick, a little bit. Starting in verse 14 and ending in verse 16. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God dwells with His people. We need to be set apart from a sinful and polluted world. And when we unite ourselves with it, it's almost impossible, it seems like, to get away from it, but when we unite ourselves with it, what is going on with our temple? What is going on with your temple? What is going on with your temple when you unite yourself? But what is evil? Certainly it can be destroyed. You say, well, I'm a strong enough Christian. I can overcome. But this is a clear warning to us. To watch. To consider. Do we want that kind of thing in our lives? And this, you know, this, this verses that are listed here, if you look at it, it's kind of poetical. But it's taking the scripture right from Exodus 29.45. Speaking of I will dwell in them. I will take up my indwelling in them, is what he's saying. There is an illusion doubtless to the fact that he would be present among his people. God will be a present among us. But the Shekinah are the visible symbol of His presence. Know what the scripture says also in Second Chronicles 5.13-14. It says, in Second Chronicles 5.13-14, 
you look back with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments and praise to the Lord for he is good his steadfast love endures forever the house the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister before the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God see He dwelled with them. He was with them in that moment. He was a part of their experience. The Shekinah glory was in front of them. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul speaks to us after taking, talking about divisions in the church. He talks about this in, a, in another way. He's, he's talking about building a sure foundation. That's interesting. Reminds me about this passage about the temple in Chron- and Second Chronicles about the building and about that dedication. And he says something remarkable here. He says, "If we are true believers, then we Christians, and we who are Christians, we have to be the Lord's temple." And in that sure testimony as the temple of Solomon was in his day. It says in, in, in verse 16 and 17, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are that temple. When we do something destructive, when we ruin our lives, when we hurt ourselves by doing things that are wrong or evil, out of that sinful nature, and there are lots of different things that you can do. And I'm not going to be a law, person of the law. I'm not trying to say, you should not do this and you should not do that. But what does God want of you? What does He want of your heart? The temple, we say, is in the heart. In individual Christians, that's where He resides, in our, in our mind, in our understanding of God. If He resides here, why would we want to destruct, be destructive? Why do we want to destroy what is good of God? Why unite with that which is evil? We must understand God's presence and plan and purpose. We need to look into His Word. And we need to be working on making ourselves work to move towards holiness. But what is that? None of us are, are holy. Not one, only Jesus Christ is. We need to be setting ourselves apart for Him in every area of our life. Should we not dedicate our lives to Solomon, dedicate the temple he made? Should we not throw off unrighteousness of all kinds and dedicate ourselves to the Lord? Paul, again, I, I look at him and what does he have to say based on what God desires of us? He says, I'm saying what we should not be a part of it. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Do you know that you're not your own? 
it's interesting being a, a Navy officer, right? I'm not my own. The United States government owns me, okay? Sort of. Only after Jesus Christ. <laughs> after God. God owns me. Why would I want to do something that is not a part of Him? Why should I? It's interesting. Another part in the scripture that talks about temple. In Revelations 21, 22 and following, there's a city in heaven awaiting for each and every one of us. Unique thing about this city, as you look through that scripture, is that it describes the city as not having a temple in it. A physical built temple in it. And what's so powerful about that is the description it speaks about. So I'm just going to read it to you for a second or two. It says here, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is a Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the, it the glory of the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. For anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This, my friends, is what we await. As this experience in the, in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, remember that the physical temple and the presence and the darkness of the clouds wrapping around the presence of God as He, he, he comes into that place. It reminds me also of, of the children of Israel and they're walking, and the cloud of, uh, is by day, and, uh, the cloud is by day, and the fire by night of God leading them. And this particular place that we have, that we are going to as Christians, God's presence will eternally be with them, be with us, with the people that are found in the book of life. It will be a living temple and always the most amazing thing is is that if you're a brother or sister of Christ in the fellowship of believers we will be found there together and I cannot wait for that day I cannot wait for that day today we deal in evil and destructive world it's everywhere around us it's in relationships it's in the it's on the TVs it's in, the, it's in, our, in our neighborhoods in the military in the civilian world it's everywhere and Satan is trying to drag us away from, his, from God's presence he does not want us to have a relationship with God he is against us 
He is against us. But I cannot wait for that day when God returns and my name is found in the book of life. My question that I want to leave you with is, how about you? Are you found there? Do you know the one Lord and Savior? Is personal law? Is it a personal where they have a personal relationship with God? The one who shows up, whose presence is is far beyond just one building, beyond our comprehension. Maybe this is a time. Maybe this is a time that you rededicate if you haven't been dedicating your life for the Lord in a while. You rededicate your life toward the Lord. Thanksgiving is giving yourself to the Lord. To say, thank you God for all you have done. Thanking God. The powerful thing of that first Thanksgiving was they didn't just stand still and just sit there and eat turkey. They remember God. And then they tried to serve others. And they took care of them. The whole people. It wasn't an individual event. It was an event of all the pilgrims. And they shared it with the native people. Consider this. You guys are given a precious gift. Through your SGMs, through the teaching of the Word, through the care of the brotherhood and sisterhood of the believers, I watch and see this congregation is a, a loving congregation who love each other and care for each other. Use these as an opportunity to rededicate yourself. Get involved. And when Solomon dedicated the temple of God, he came and, and God came and filled it with His presence, and He will fill you with His presence as you walk. Certainly all the people were there to see the marvelous thing that was done. But don't forget the warning. The warning of chapter 7, 19. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land. I will pluck you out of that relationship with God. We talk about having security in Jesus Christ. As in one of the songs tonight, yes, your foundation is secure. Do you have a right standing before God if you truly believe? May we heed the word of God and stay the course putting off evil and serve the Lord. May we remember His statutes and seek God's ways. Let us even now rededicate our lives to the Master.